Hello and welcome to another episode of the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. I'm your host, Hayden Grove, joined as always by our Cavaliers beat reporter, Chris Fedor. And I was just talking to Chris before this, and I wanted to thank him publicly. Uh, he came out with his beautiful wife, Holly, and his darling baby boy, Elliot, to come see me sing at Crocker Park. And uh, Elliot stole the show, man. He was, he, he's <laughs> so awesome. I, I was... He's I wish I I wish I, you know, wasn't performing so I could go play with him or something. He was so <laughs> cool. He was he stole the show. I was so nice to see him. And uh, he you can tell how much you guys really love him and how much uh, he loves you. So that's that, that was beautiful to see. It was a lot of fun, man. You put on a good show. We really enjoyed ourselves. We'll have to get out the next time that you're out and we're free. Go see you again. It was it was a blast. And Elliot loves music. He just loves to dance and like listen to music um no matter what genre so yeah. next and time he, you're out he, and the schedules line up we'll be out there again it was it was a lot of fun it seems like he's uh he likes dogs <laughs> here's his thing he's got a love-hate relationship with dogs right okay. like he loves them and every time he sees one out the window or every time we're on a walk and he sees one he'll go bow wow 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 because we always say, hey, Elliot, what sound does a dog make? And he always goes, bow, wow, 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 wow. So dogs are not dogs. He can't say dog yet, but he can say bow, wow, 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 wow. So he go. calls them bow, wow, 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 wows. And he wants to touch them. He wants to. Yeah. And he wants to interact with them. But when he gets the courage to do it and he starts getting closer and closer to the dog, like he runs away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, but that he does. Sense. If if he can see them from a distance or whatever, he'll get really really excited, and then he'll think about walking over to the dog, maybe even touching it, maybe. Um, and then when he he starts to do that, he walks away. But yeah, a couple of dogs being there at your show, they certainly yeah. helped keep um Elliot's attention too. So I I this is gonna lose me a lot of love from a lot of people, <laughs> but I. I'm not a dog person. I what? I know I'm not. I love kids. I love playing with kids and out with kids. I would I could I babysat my whole life. Like I was the oldest of three kids. I took care of my brother and my sister at times, and um, I love kids. But dogs do not. They they don't excite me. They don't make me like. Oh man. I know it's it's brutal. So like the reason is is that when I was a kid, I was petrified petrified of dogs and i think yeah. it just i think like i think one dog snip, snipped at me when i was a kid like a baby and okay. that was it yeah. I, that was i just was like nope i'm not messing with these dudes anymore so um so i mean i i get the allure of dogs like i'll pet a yeah. dog and i'll be nice to a dog i'm not like right you know, I'm not like the Grinch is to stay away from my, you know, stay away from me. But like people <laughs> love their dog, like love dogs. And I just don't, I, I don't have that visceral connection to dogs, if that makes any sense. Well, look, man, it's a good thing that you were on the stage singing far away from those dogs that were there <laughs> kind of close to the front row then. <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, they could have come up and would have been fine. I just, I, they don't excite me. Like, so they do some people like, I know people that, Anytime you see a dog, like, for instance, this is a random one, but Jeff Shudell the other day, we were at yep. Brown's OTAs, and there was a dog there, and Jeff was like, Jeff was like, I want to, like, he walked over and was like, can I please pet your dog? Like, I would <laughs> never, I would never do that in a million years. <laughs> like, I just have no interest. I mean. That is the most Jeff Shudell thing to do. <laughs> yeah. I, 
if if there was anybody at Brown's camp that was going to do that, it was going to be him more so yes. than anybody else that covers that team. That's yes. hilarious. That's yes. hilarious. It was a good hey, story. man, like my dad's the same way. My dad can't stand dogs. Like if a dog comes like running close to him, just somewhere in the vicinity, he kind of turns his back away from it. Oh, God. He's like, don't like, jump on me. Together. Don't interact with me. He just turns <laughs> yeah. his back on the dog. Yeah, so I just, get it. Not everybody's yeah. a dog person. Right. Just don't 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 hurt me is basically what he's saying. Right. Oh, right. That's funny. Well, we could talk about dogs all day, but uh, sure. we can shift now to underdogs. Oh, that was a bad transition. Um, hey. Miami, Miami Heat taking on the uh, Denver Nuggets in the NBA Finals. And uh, it was a great, great series between Miami and, and Boston. I mean, yep. you know, it started... 3-0, Boston came back, and then end, ultimately game uh, game seven ended up being uh, Miami's for the entirety of it. And I think it points to, you know, they have a, a great culture and a great, um, yep. just a great coach and, and they all of it. So Miami and Denver, um, we kind of want to relate this to the Cavaliers. Uh, we'll start sure. with, we'll start with how close is Cleveland? So Miami was an eight seed, right? Miami was right. an eight seed. So, you know, we can sit here and say that, the Cavaliers were a better regular season team, but obviously when the playoffs showed up, yeah. a different a different version showed up of each team. The Cavaliers were right. a different version in a bad way. Miami Heat were a different version in a good way. So how far is Cleveland from being a team like Miami, where they, you know, took uh, took a series from Boston, took a series? They had a, a tough path, too. I mean, they weren't just beating, you know, teams that were below them. I mean, they they right. did the gauntlet and, and, and ended up on top. This is the fascinating thing to me about Miami's run. They lost in the first play-in tournament game against yeah. Atlanta. And then they were in the second play-in tournament game against Chicago. And they were down three in the final four minutes of that game. So they're yeah. four minutes away from not even getting to the playoffs. Think about that. Yeah. This was a team that for a majority of the season, Hayden, it underachieved in a great way. But... They found it when the time was most important. And I think a lot of things separate the heat from the Cavs. Um, and one of the things that stands out to me more than anything else is that Miami has a ton of shooting and a ton of floor spacing. And during the regular season, they didn't shoot the ball well at all. They were one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the NBA in the regular season. But you looked at that roster and you said they have shooters to change that if they get into the playoffs, if they start playing well together at the right time. Duncan Robinson can come off the bench and bang four threes. You know, Max Struess can bang four threes. Gabe Vincent, same thing. Jimmy Butler has been making threes in the playoffs. So I don't think um, the Cavs, when you look at their roster composition, I don't think the Cavs have those kinds of components that Miami does from a shooting perspective and a floor spacing perspective. The other thing that stands out to me, and this is no knock on J.B. Bickerstaff, the Cavs coach, but, and, and this is no knock on other coaches around the NBA that are very, very good at what they do, but there's only one Eric Spolstra. Yeah. And he is the best coach in the NBA. And when you get that guy into a seven-game series and it becomes a chess match and it becomes about making adjustments and lineup changes and schematic things, there is nobody in the NBA that is better than him at that. 
he is a playoff weapon from the sidelines. The Cavs don't have that, right? That's a big difference between the two teams. And then I think the other thing that stands out to me, and this is probably the most important thing, this is a league nowadays, Hayden, where two-way wings dominate. Yeah, Two-way wings can shift series by themselves. And Jimmy Butler is the kind of component that the Cavs do not have on this roster. Look, right. they have Donovan Mitchell, and Donovan Mitchell is great. And he finished just outside the top five in MVP voting. And he was second team All-NBA. But stylistically, he's different than Jimmy Butler. Yeah, he certainly is. Certainly is. And J- Jimmy Butler has been, I mean, unbelievable in the playoffs. I mean, he just, like I said, had, took it to another gear. And maybe that's something the Cavs can learn from is, is you know, adding that second gear. Uh, maybe not showing all your cards in the postseason. And it's hard to, you know, explain that to young kids and, and that's guys. That's what I'm saying. Right. Yeah. So. Um, I mean, think about that. Think about what you just said, right? Yeah. Jimmy Butler has been through so many different playoff series and he's been in some highly competitive games. So it's like Miami has a know-how. They understand how to get to that level that you're talking about. You can sit there and you can say to the Cavs, hey, prepare for the physicality, right? Get ready for something that you've never felt before. It's going to be more intense. It's going to be more pressure packed. It's going to be raucous environments. Like you can say all of those things to players on the Cavs roster in preparation for it, and they can watch a whole bunch of film and they can drill it on the court. But until you're in it, you don't know you don't know what's required to get yourself to that level because right. you've never gotten yourself to that level, right? Like Miami knew how to get to that next level, how to find that second gear. The Cavs don't know what that second gear is. A majority right. of the Cavs don't know what that second gear is. They they don't know how to tap into that the same way that Miami does because of all of the experience that the Heat have up and down that roster. And it's not just, you know, guys at the bottom half of the roster. Like, how old Neto had been to the playoffs before in his career, and he had played in a lot of playoff games, and he had that experience. And you can say the same thing about Robin Lopez. But the experience for the Heat comes from the top shelf of their roster. Right. A majority of the experience for the Cavs, besides Donovan Mitchell, of course, is the veterans that they brought in to help along the way, but didn't play to have any kind of impact. So right. that's something that that can't get overlooked. There was a study done recently, and the Cavs did this study throughout the course of the season, and I wrote about it, Hayden. Um, the average age of, of of finals participants with starting fives over like the last 15 to 20 years or something. I can't remember exactly how many years it goes back, but it's about 15 to 20 years. And it's the two finals participants and it's just the starting five. The average age is like a little bit beyond 28 years old. Wow. The, the Cavs starting five average age, as we know. 23.2. Wow. It's so, a basically, so basically what we're saying is that, you know, it, experience is playing a huge factor and, uh, and Cleveland just doesn't have it right now. Basically what we're saying is as much as JB tried to prepare these guys and as much as the organization tried to prepare these guys and Karis LeVert and Donovan Mitchell and some of these other guys 
that had been through playoff wars before were trying to prepare the young guys. Uh, the Cavs weren't ready for what they were about to face in the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. And how does and and I guess if we're asking the question, how close is Cleveland to you know to an NBA Finals? Um, I think you have to take the other teams into account as well. I think Miami. God bless them. I think that they might have some issues in keeping some of these guys around. Sure. Yeah. And that might kind of, this might kind of be their last hurrah, if you will. Maybe. Well, Maybe. I mean, well, they that's could the thing. Add. It's interesting, right? Because I yeah. think that's the thing that stands out to me about Denver and about Miami. Um, and I wrote about this the other day, Hayden. Like throughout the last decade or so, both of these teams had an opportunity to just blow it up. And and you know how this goes. When 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 teams fail in the playoffs, like the initial reaction, whether it's from media members or fans or even some people internally as the emotions are still high, the immediate reaction is disappointment and saying, got to make changes. What can we do that's different? What kinds of components of this roster can we change? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. as soon as Boston lost against Miami, people were like, well, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, got to break them up, right? Like, that's the yeah. first place that people went, ignoring the fact that those guys together have been to the conference finals four times in six years, and that's nothing to sneeze at. <laughs> right, right, no, you know, and, and it's ignoring the fact that those guys together it's one of the best duos in the NBA and both of them made all NBA. So you got to be awfully careful about wanting to just break those guys up, but that's where people go, right? Yeah. When you see failure, you're like, got to make change. And yeah. I think the thing that stands out to me about both Denver and Miami is that they had playoff failures over the last 10 years. Like Eric Spolstra wasn't always Eric Spolstra. He got his lunch handed to him by other coaches in seven-game series in the past. Playoff Jimmy wasn't always playoff Jimmy or Himmy right. Butler or whatever you want to call him. Like, he got outscored in a series three years ago, the first-round series against Milwaukee. He got outscored by Bryn Forbes. Bryn yeah. freaking Forbes. And he shot 27% from the field in that series and, like, 26% from three-point range. So he wasn't always this that we're seeing right now, a guy that can carry a team to the NBA finals. So both of these teams at various points could have been like, yo, what we have is not good enough. Maybe we could benefit from a different voice on the sidelines. Maybe we need to shake up the foundation that we have built here. And Denver was an early exit last year they got bounced in the playoffs in the first round and they didn't look at the situation and say, well, what we have doesn't work. See you later, Michael Malone. Okay. We're going to break up Jokic and Jamal Murray. We've got to trade Michael Porter Jr. We've got to get rid of Aaron Gordon. They looked at their situation. And they said, you know what? We like what we have enough. Let's improve around the margins. Yep. And that's why I stopped you short when it comes to Miami, because as long as Miami takes that same approach and keeps like the core in place, it's just about finding the other complementary pieces. You know, right. they're still going to have Jimmy Butler. They're still going to have Bam. They're probably still going to have Hero. 
So find somebody who can do some of the same things that Max Struess can do, right? Find somebody who can do some of the same things that Gabe Vincent can do. And I just think in the NBA, whether it's the Cavs, whether it's the Celtics, whether it's the Heat, whether it's the Nuggets, if there's enough data that points to your core functioning together well, fitting together and working and actually being successful, however you want to define successful, you just keep that in place and you work the edges. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think that's a lesson for the Cavs. Like there's enough evidence that says Darius, Donovan, Jarrett, and Evan work well together, both in the regular season and in the playoffs. So like the first reaction shouldn't be break, break that up. The first reaction should be, okay, how do we find the pieces to go around those guys? Because that's the hardest part in the NBA is putting that core in place. But once you have it, then when you make moves like Jeff Green and Bruce Brown and Contavious Caldwell Pope, then you you take that next step potentially. Yeah, and that's exactly what the Cavaliers need to do. I think we both agreed upon that is that they need to build around the margins. And we've talked a little bit of, a lot about how they do that, you know, what the options are out there. Right. Um, and that's, I think that's ultimately their plan at this point. I don't think, you know, they are going to try to, you know, shake this thing up too, too much. Uh, because as we said, experience is a lot of it. And uh, that only comes with time. So. And you know what else is a lot of it? Like players get better. Yeah. Coaches get better. Teams get better. Those things happen without making drastic changes. Denver was a better team this year than last year, and they didn't shake up the roster significantly. They just added Contavious Caldwell Pope and Bruce Brown and Christian Brown in the draft. You know, Um, the Miami Heat, they're a better team this year than they were last year. And they didn't make a whole bunch of changes to the roster. They learned from that loss against the Boston Celtics in the conference finals. And they performed better in this series against Boston. You know what I mean? So, like, taking the next step doesn't always involve a drastic shakeup. Right. It makes sense. And sometimes it's luck, too, right? You got to be healthy at the right time. You got to get a couple of bounces to go your way. Maybe the other team has to be dealing with some things. Of course. I mean, yeah, that's what, you know, I think Cleveland, I think we are kind of, I think we're kind of at a disadvantage in terms of our perspective, because for four consecutive years, (laughs) it was essentially a foregone conclusion that Cleveland was going to make the NBA finals. And that's exactly what happened, even in the last year, where it was much less of a conclusion than the other three years. So it's... It's almost like Cleveland was so good with LeBron and right. just ran into that's and I'll, that's also, by the way, that's also kind of the quote unquote tragic thing is that a Cleveland's team that they had in 2016 and 2015 and 2017, 2018. I mean, I think those teams win championships almost oh. every single time outside of the four years they played the Warriors. Right. I mean, those two teams were just so far and away better than everybody else. It just, it was, it's kind of unfortunate that Cleveland only, you know, was able to steal one of those finals because, I mean, in any other year, Cleveland runs away with that finals this year, I think, and with that team. So, like, there's another thing, too, and you brought up LeBron. 
Yeah. Like LeBron is so dominant in a postseason series. Yeah. Right. But that's not the norm. No. Even great players, there is a different level between LeBron and Jason Tatum, right? There's a Hell different yeah. level between LeBron and Jimmy Butler. There's a different level between LeBron and Donovan Mitchell. You know what yeah. I mean? So, so when it comes to some of these other guys, the collective we, we cannot hold them to the same standard of LeBron. We cannot no. expect what we saw from LeBron for so many years in the postseason. You know no. what I mean? And this is yeah. not excusing Donovan Mitchell because he was bad, like bad, bad against the Knicks. And he owned it. He shouldered the blame. And he was bad, bad against the Dallas Mavericks um, in last year's playoffs when when Utah was bounced by the Mavericks. So, like, he has some things that he needs to figure out when it comes to performing better in the postseason, especially going into next year. Critical year for the Cavs. Critical year for Donovan yeah. Mitchell. Um, but at the same time, like, we can't hold him to that same standard and expect, like, every great player to always be at their best in the playoffs because that's when their best is demanded the most. Yeah. Like I said, Jimmy Butler hasn't always been playoff Jimmy. Like, he yeah. has had stumbles in playoff series in the past. Even LeBron has had playoff stumbles. Look at the, the, the NBA Finals in 2011 against the Dallas Mavericks and what he needed to learn from that. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. just because Donovan Mitchell was bad against the Knicks in these past playoffs. And just because Darius Garland wasn't great against the Knicks in these past playoffs, it doesn't mean that the conclusion is neither of those guys can ever be good in the playoffs. Yeah, no, that makes sense. It does. It really does. Um, one of the guys that was on that 2016 team uh, is now back in the finals, Kevin Love. Um, and we promised we weren't going to talk about his impact. <laughs> Um, and like what the Cavaliers part of it, but significant that, you know, a player that means so much to the Cavaliers makes his fifth finals every year. He's made the playoffs, he's made the finals. Yeah. Um, what could this mean for him? I mean, it would be huge to, to win an NBA finals with the Miami heat and solidify himself as a two time champion. And, um, you know, solidify what I already believe is a hall of fame career. It would be, yeah. um, quite the, quite possibly the end for Kevin Love. Yeah, it, I didn't get the sense in, in talking to him multiple times throughout the course of the year about this being, it was a story that I was working on about Cleveland potentially being his last chapter. Um, and I just didn't get the sense from him that he felt like it was yeah. or 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 that he was going to go out at the end of this year. Like there was a big part of him that felt like his career was going to finish in Cleveland. Yeah. And that's ultimately what he wanted. And that's what he saw for his career. But I didn't get the sense that it was going to be over following the 22-23 season. And Hayden, I think that's part of the reason why he wanted out. And I think that's part of the reason why he wanted to go to Miami with a great opportunity for playing time. Is because he wanted to show people around the NBA that he can still play. He's a yeah. free agent. And guys that um, made as much money as as he did in his most recent contract and throughout his career, like it's very, very difficult for them to go from that level and how they were viewed to minimum salary type guys, yeah. you know. Um, but I think he wanted an opportunity. I think he wanted a platform to show, hey, I can still play at a high enough level. Like I can still be effective. 
I'm not the same guy. I know that. Um, I do struggle when it comes to guarding pick and rolls. Um, I am not the same shooter that I used to be. But, like, there's a place for me in the NBA. And I can still impact locker rooms in a positive way. And I can still impact winning in a positive way. And I can still make some things easier on the offense because of my floor spacing and my gravity and things like that. And Miami gave him an opportunity um, to showcase that. And I think it's going to help him get a job this offseason. Whereas if he would have gone into this offseason after being like a DNP CD for the final 20 plus games of the regular season and then not having sniffed the, the floor much in the postseason series for the Cavs, people would have been like, yo, this guy can't play. Like, do we really want to go out and, and sign him in this offseason? Is he done? Does he have anything left in the tank? So I got the sense in talking to him that he wanted to continue his career um, beyond this year. And I think it's more likely that that he continues to do that and he adds on to what is already a Hall of Fame resume. Remember the last time they said he couldn't play? Uh, yeah. Uh, what was it? Um, the USA, Team USA, Colangelo, Team USA, right? yeah. Yeah. So he, he came back and he almost won six man of the year. Exactly. So I guess yeah. he's he's proven he's proven people wrong in the past in that regard. Um, so one a, thing that we know about is, Kevin and being around him a long, long time, Hayden, he is a proud yeah. dude. Yep. Yep. And he is a uh, he is a free agent at the, this summer, correct? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I was saying. So or thinking so um, an opportunity for him to kind of pick his place. And I guess this is a question that I mean. I don't I don't know if this no. would ever happen. Okay. Nope. Nope. Uh-uh. Nope. Okay. I, I was going to go there. Thanks for cutting me off. Nope. I believe there both are some, too many bad feelings on both sides of that one for it to happen. Okay. There would have to be some serious mending that takes place. Um in the off season, I just hey, don't you, see that you happening. Know, you know what'll mend <laughs> if he wins a ring? I think that'll <laughs> mend. I think I think that'll mend plenty if, if that was yeah. the case. He'd be like, "Oh well, all right, fine. I got my ring." You know, <laughs> all right. Yeah, I don't think it makes sense roster wise, honestly. So I, I I think there's a okay. Hear me out. Bench option and with the Lakers. Yeah, I can see it for sure. With. Um, with Kyrie, could you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> oh no! You want to? Could you imagine that? You want to pull J.R. Smith and Channing Fry out of retirement too? Oh God, Cleveland would go insane if that were. And I think it's a realistic possibility. Oh, there's no doubt that it is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, mean I don't think Kyrie that's... is married to the Mavericks, and I don't think the Mavericks are married to him, and. The Lakers have the vehicle of D'Angelo Russell in a potential sign and trade. I don't think to make I some salary matches. I don't think Kyrie was just showing up to those games to show up to those games. I, I mean, I don't. I don't know. Like, it's hard to as, get in the mind of as, Kyrie Irving as pub as pl- as publicly as he did. Like he could have yeah. shown up and just sat in a suite or something, but like yeah. he was like front and center. So I don't know. That would be something. Oh my God. I'm going to tweet that later. <laughs> I'm going to tweet that later. Yeah, but I mean, it's a that. logical fit for Kevin in Los yeah. Angeles. Yep. Um, that's the kind of floor spacing four that you usually need around Anthony Davis if he's going to play the five. 
that's the kind of uh, big man that that LeBron likes to play alongside because he doesn't swallow up room in the paint and he spaces the floor and you've got the driving kicks and the pick and pops and stuff like that. So, yeah, um, I could certainly see that as as an option. At the very least, like I think Kevin has has raised his value back to a level where he's going to get looks from multiple teams this season. Yeah. And that doesn't mean he's been great for the Heat. We've gone over no. the numbers, and it feels yeah. like I beat him up when I do this. And I'm not trying to do it, um, but it just points to some of the flaws that the Cavs saw are being exposed by some of these other teams in the playoffs, and Miami's seeing them as well. Like, there's a reason why the Heat benched him for the final two games of their series against the Celtics. To this point, the two most important games that they have played they thought they were better with Caleb Martin in the starting lineup as opposed to Kevin Love. They thought they were better with anybody else on the court as opposed to Kevin. But, like, he can still have value other ways, right? And maybe this series against the Nuggets is going to call for a different matchup or a different skill set, and we'll see how much he plays against the Nuggets. But at the very least, like, the way that he has fit in well with Miami and accepted a lesser role I think takes away some of the questions that opposing executives had about him and whether he would be happy in a situation um, where he's not getting consistent playing time, where he doesn't have a stable role and things like that. Prediction for the series? Look, man, everything points to Denver being the better team and Denver being more complete, um, deeper, more talented, home court advantage. So, like, everything points to Denver in four or five games. But I said this with you so many times on this podcast throughout the course of the season. Like, hey, if Miami figures it out, look out. You know what I'm saying? And, like, there are just certain players and certain coaches and certain organizations that you just give the benefit of the doubt to. And throughout the course of the season, as Miami was playing bad, Like, they needed to get into the playoffs through the play-in tournament. So, in the regular season, they were a great underachiever. And everybody kept looking at the Heat, and they kept saying, hey, when they get healthy, they're going to go on a run. Or wait for the second half of the season, they're going to go on a run. They're going to chase down the Cavs, or they're going to chase down the Knicks. They're going to find a way to get one of the top six seeds in, in, in the playoffs. And, like, you gave them that respect because of what they had already accomplished in the past and because of the components that they had on the roster and because of the dude that's walking the sidelines and because of the culture, the key culture, you gave them that respect and that benefit of the doubt. And it's just so hard for me to, as they get here to the finals, say they don't have a chance. Like a lot of things say they should not have a chance in this particular series, but like, they're not a team or an organization that I'm ever going to discount. They just have too many tough dudes. They're not scared. They're not intimidated by the moment or by the team that they're playing. They play a team style of ball. Um, they have strategies that they can use in terms of their zone defensively. Bam out of bio is one of the most disrupted, disruptive defensive forces that we have in the NBA and and we've seen Jimmy just like take it to a completely different level. So I still pick Denver. Um, I think it's going to be a hard fought series because that's what, what is required when playing against the heat. But 
I can't see the Heat beating the Nuggets four times in seven tries. I can't. Yeah, I'm going to go with you on that one. I think Denver's going to end up winning it. I think it'll be closer than people think, though. I think Miami will steal one where they shouldn't and maybe make it six games. Um, Yeah, I think that's that's pretty fair. Um, Certainly exciting to going to be exciting to watch game one tonight in about four and a half hours from now. So uh, that'll be tip off game one, June 1st. And if things go all the way to seven, I believe it will be Father's Day for game seven. So Mm. something to look at. Um, June 18th is Father's Day this year. Uh, Last thing, Chris. um, Draft. Coming up, Cavaliers obviously don't have a first-round pick. We can just touch on this very briefly. Um, Some of the guys that Cleveland was looking at returning to school. So I I think it's fair to say that Cleveland was not banking on the draft, you know, giving them them players that were going to be significant. Um, But it kind of does, you know, makes it a little tougher when there were guys that were on the radar that are no longer on the radar because they're going back to school. Yeah, so my sources tell me that the Cavs have had one – Big group workout of draft prospects to this point. I think some of these prospects wanted to wait um, until after the the early entry deadline. And I think um, they wanted to get a better feel for where they could potentially go in the draft. And it's going to be hard for the Cavs because they're picking at 49 to get a lot of these guys to come in. Because as my source tells me, like a lot of these guys think they should be first round picks or they should be drafted in the 30s, not in the 40s. So they see themselves that kind of way and the agent sees them as that kind of prospect. And it would be harder then for the Cavs to get these guys to come in and take time for a workout and an interview and stuff like that. But I'm told that um, the Cavs have had one group three on three workout, but one of the guys that they worked out, um, one of the six that they worked out and was on their radar was actually TJ Shannon of um is that who it is yeah terrence shannon jr he goes by tj i think more people would recognize him by terrence shannon um he's the guard from illinois who had a really really good year um came from texas tech went to illinois had a really good year but he went back to school so that's one guy that they had worked out that has gone back to school and the other layer to this is Like the more guys in the 45 to 60 range that decide to go back to school, make it less likely that somebody that the Cavs would like between like 30 and 40 slides to them. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So that's something that like it's not a situation where some of these guys go back to school and it's like, oh, man, that was a guy that we really, really, really wanted at 49. Like there's a huge cluster of targets There's a bunch of skill sets that they're looking at. There's a bunch of different positions that they're going to look at. There's a bunch of different types of players that they're going to look at, like swing for the fences types and then ready-made guys as well. So it's not a situation where it was like, okay, Zach Eady goes back to Purdue. Now we've got to change our plan or whatever. You know what I'm saying? But it's like when a bunch of guys that are in that same cluster decide to go back to school and not stay in the draft. Some of the guys that could have fallen to the Cavs, because we see it all the time in the draft, guys fall down the board. Like it makes it less likely that those guys fall down the board and the Cavs scoop someone up with like that kind of value. Right. Uh, I saw a video of Zach Eady shooting threes and I'm like, what the hell is going on in Purdue? Why wouldn't they let him do that? Why wouldn't they let him do that? 
because they're trying to win basketball games. <laughs> I guess. I guess. Man. That's what it comes down to, right? Like, it's not Purdue's job to prepare Zach Eady for the NBA. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's their job to to win a Big Ten title and try and win a national championship. And they understand that the best route for that is to camp big boy in the paint, give him the ball, back to the basket, see what he can do on the offensive end. Like, it's not experiment with three-pointers. It's not experiment with pick and pops and pull you out to the three-point line. That's that's what the NBA is going to try and do with him. You know, that's up to the NBA to figure out, does he have that within his game? But it's Matt Painter's job to try and win games at Purdue. Well, guess how guess how well that did them when they ruined my bracket in the second <laughs> round of the NCAA tournament. That that really worked out for them. I was going to say, I know there's something else attached to that that's bothering yeah, you about pissed, it. Pissed. I mean, <laughs> I, we like so I they busted a, bra- a lot of brackets, dude. Uh, yeah, and this year was crazy. Um, but I, I've I've won a, a pretty big pool, and I do it with a friend of mine that you know well. Um, and uh, yeah. I'll just keep his name out of it just because, um, but we do it every year and we kind of have some rules, like some philosophies. One, one rule is we don't, we pick Virginia to lose as soon as possible. That, that worked out well. Um, we pick Kansas norm. Normally we pick Kansas to get out at some point. Um, and we, we pick against Purdue. And this year we were like, well, you know, because we have Virginia won a title. They have proven us right on multiple occasions by losing games they should have never lost. Uh-huh. But they've proven that they've proven us wrong or with, you know, winning a title. So we we're like, well, maybe Purdue will prove us wrong. Absolutely not. Proved nope. us exactly so, not so much. So Matt Painter, you can you need to get it together for us, yes. please. Um, but I will and, say Edie, they'll they'll win some games with him for sure. I will say Edie like turned heads a little bit at the combine with what yeah. he was able to do from a movement standpoint. And people were starting to wonder, Hey, maybe is he something other than dinosaur? Like, is there a place for him in the NBA? Yeah. And he was on the Cavs radar as one of the guys that they would have considered at number 49, not saying that's where they would have gone, not saying that he was a shoe in, not even saying that he would have been on the board at that point in time, but he was one of the guys on the radar that they wanted to take a closer look at. Well, he's going back to Purdue. So, Matt Painter, you got another year with uh, with the big dinosaur. <laughs> Good luck. Yes. All right. I'm uh, going to get out of here. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. Appreciate you listening to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. If you are listening, you can check out Chris's subtext, $3.99 a month, 14-day free trial by going to the bottom of the Cleveland.com article on which this podcast is posted. Or you can go to the cleveland.com slash Cavs, click the blue banner at the top of the page, and you'll get to the same exact spot. So all kinds of insight, news, analysis, sent straight to your phone from Chris before Twitter or anywhere else. Yep. $3.99 a month, 14-day free trial. Um, otherwise, enjoy the NBA Finals. It'll be a good series between the uh, Miami Heat and the uh, Denver Nuggets. So appreciate you joining us. Have a great day. We'll talk to you soon.